HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexis Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Nicole Presley, aka at Presley's Pantry. Nicole is a content creator and recipe developer specializing in food art. She describes her work as Martha Stewart meets Pee Wee's Playhouse, and she likes to breathe new life into Mexican-American cuisine. Thank you so much for being here, Nicole. I'm so excited to learn all about you. Aw, thank you so much, Alexa. It's my absolute pleasure to speak with you today. <laughs> Yay. Um, so tell me, let's walk it back to the very beginning. Where did you grow up and what type of uh, cuisine did you grow up with? Oh, God. Well, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> where did I grow up? I was born and raised in East Los Angeles. So I am an Amer- I'm, I'm a Los Angeles native. But I wanted I, I I grew up to a single young mom and I say young mom because she's only 20 years older than I am and I wow. grew up in a, in a household full of adults so we lived with my grandfather and a few aunts and uncles were spread around but I grew up in a house where no one cooked so <laughs> it was like this you know family, a big family, but no one cooked. I mean, my grandfather would cook on occasion, but everyone was so busy engulfed in their own art form. I mean, my mom is an artist. My grandfather did cool woodworking. My aunt was a musician or is a musician, I should say. Um, And my uncle did the coolest, um, like, landscaping and design sort of this just everybody was was engulfed in their own art so that sort of left me the only child in the household amongst this world of adults to sort of fend for myself and I had a really I know this is going to sound crazy but I feel like I was born with an advanced palette so with 
an advanced palate and no one cooking and also very little food in the house. So my interest in baking and cooking took life at a very young age. Like I started, I started cooking and experimenting in the kitchen probably around eight years old. And at that time, mind you, there was no food network. There was no, uh, you know, like kids today, they have it all on TV or, you know, the internet, whatever. I didn't have any of that. It was just like, okay, fend for yourself, Charlie Brown. What are you going to do? How are you going to make food or make anything work here? My goodness. Well, so what type of food did you start cooking when you were so young? Mexican food. My family is. My family is, um, well, we're Mexican-American, but our roots are from Mexico. And so I started making Mexican food really young. And I I think about when I was barely finding my way in the kitchen and I would, you know, do chores and get my allowance or like any little money I got for my birthday or whatever. And I would walk to our local market, which was just down the street and buy whatever ingredients I could to just go home and start experimenting. Cool. That's like, really, you taught yourself essentially at such a young age. That's crazy. I taught myself, but I also was a super, super curious kid who was nosy and, you know, talkative and made friends with people really easily. So I'd be like, excuse me, I'm going to the neighbor's house. I can smell her making lentils or or, whatever and go and just ask if I could sit in the kitchen and watch. Like, oh, hi, Sandra. You know, is it possible that I could just watch you make dinner today or, you know, anything, anything. Wow. And so what were some of the first things that you learned how to make? One of the first things I learned how to make um, were chilaquiles. Mm. And chilaquiles are relatively easy. I know that doesn't pertain to my book, but it's definitely one of the first things that I learned how to make. Um, And not from not not making my own salsa from scratch at that time. It was like, you know, using canned salsa or whatever. But it was one of the very first things I learned how to make and can say that by the age of, you know, nine, I had that under my belt. Well, look at that. So (laughs) that's, I mean, chilaquiles is one of my favorites. So so you have a book as well. I did not know about that. So what is your book all about? My book is called Viva Desserts. Um, It's a traditional and reinvented sweets from a Mexican American kitchen. And this book just focuses on Mexican desserts and some American desserts in a Mexican mood. Well, look, ideal. That sounds incredible. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Oh my God. I thought we were talking about Viva desserts today. All of the things we're talking about all of the things I, yes, we are honed in on everything regarding your culinary background. So you obviously had been teaching yourself very, you know, very traditional Mexican recipes and what, how, what was your culinary journey from there? My culinary journey is that I spent as much time in the kitchen as possible. So even though I didn't have anybody teaching me at home, like I said, I became 
a, a avid reader of cookbooks, I befriended lots of women that were older than me. Like there was a woman who who worked down the street at a tiny little candy shop. And I just used to knock on the door and ask if I could come in and just learn from this woman who was making like candied pumpkin and and coconut candy. And just in my travels, I have always befriended elderly women who were willing to teach me what they knew in the kitchen. And it's just exploded from there. I think um, about 11 years ago, or I'll go before I start talking about that. But when I was, you know, in my early 20s and 30s, I just felt really confident in my cooking and in my baking and started making food for a bunch of musicians and I've always been around a lot of creative types so I just started doing that like not catering but just bringing the specialty dishes to parties or to the studio recordings or whatever well that is so much fun and it's crazy how just like self-taught you were through and through like that's I can't believe you figured all that out on your own especially starting from such a young age so (laughs) was it a lot of just trial and error basically absolutely trial and error um you know obviously I also I said I lived in a house full of of adults but I would go to my aunt's house and she would also teach me she had a bunch of different recipes that she had basically taught herself. And so I started learning from her, but it was really the wisdom of elderly women from my neighborhood or in my travels where I learned the most, where, you know, aside from, from reading, I'd also get hands-on experience. My mom had a boyfriend and her, her boyfriend's mother was really nice and she was an older woman named Domasa who taught me how to make tortillas. And so it was a lot of just being that nosy kid who would plant herself in the kitchen. And I was curious and still am. That's such a vibe that so much of your journey in this sense, like really came from like abuelas and just like hanging out with abuelas. That's like so cute. I love that. For sure. For (laughs) sure. You know, I, I, no, this has nothing to do with Mexican food, but I spent a good amount of time in Norway. I was there with my aunt. She was recording an album. And so while she was in the studio, I found myself like making friends with elderly Norwegian women who obviously I didn't speak Norsk, but I'd, I'd watch and be like, oh, how do you use cardamom? Oh, that's interesting. And, mm-hmm. you know, try to recreate those cakes when I got home. But sure, I think that befriending people who have the knowledge or have been in the kitchen for a long time just speaks volumes. You know, it's just there's it's stuff that you can't learn anywhere else. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, that is incredible. So you're, you know, at a young age, you're honing these skills, you're learning from people around you. And I guess at what point did it click for you that you really wanted to pursue this as like a career in life's passion? 
about 11 years ago, I was, I was, um, working as a sales rep for a staffing company. And I had not, not 11 years ago, like 14 years ago, I had had my son, he was newly born and he was, he's the only child that I have. And I just thought, Oh my God, I want to spend as much time as possible with him. And my job that I had at that time was taking up like, I don't know, 13 hours a day. And that was leaving very little time for me to be a mom. Mm -hmm. So I thought, what could I do that would be interesting to occupy my time and not necessarily thought that I would monetize off of it, but just something different. So I started um, my blog and Presley's Pantry. And I'd say within like six months, it just started snowballing. I got contacted by Disney to start wow. creating content for them um, as a as a recipe developer. At the time, they had a website called Babbel. And I was the first Latina that they hired to create Mexican-American or traditional Mexican recipes for their site. Um, mm-hmm. I also got contacted by General Mills and started doing recipe development for them. They had a branch at that time called Guerrica Vida. So it's crazy because within like a few months, I just started gaining all of these jobs where I was able to quit my my sales job and start creating content, not only for my site, but also for these websites. And I soon, like, I think maybe like before I had even been doing it a year, I started working for Walmart. So just a bunch of these like huge brands were calling on me and it, 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 it ushered in all these other possibilities, you know, like I just started creating a bunch of recipes for these gigantic brands like Nestle, Disney, Real California Milk, and just crazy. Well, and and then started doing like ghost cookbook writer. So oh. there are some, some cookbooks out there that I created many recipes, but wasn't given the credit. Um, and that really pushed me to, to write my own cookbook because why wouldn't I? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, have my own cookbook. Yeah. I mean, clearly, I mean, you have the skill set and expertise, but then you weren't getting the credit. So I'm glad you took that, that course of action because it seems like it was much deserved. Yeah. Oh and, my gosh. And, you know, I wanted to do something that was a little more quirky and fun. Like some of these, um, websites where I develop recipes for are really are really conservative, I want to say, or, you know, you have to follow certain guidelines and the photos mm-hmm. have to be just so. And so I wanted to create Viva desserts where I can just fully be myself and celebrate both my cultures, celebrate being Mexican and also being American or American and roots from Mexico, you know, and, and, and photographing the book in such a way where it's not the traditional, how Mexican food is usually presented. It's a little bit more whimsy and a little more fun. And 
So that was the approach with with that book, with with how we went about the photography. And the photography in Viva Desserts, um, when when we approached it, I did all of the styling in the book, and I wanted to style it in a way that wasn't completely traditional. It was, you know, usually when you see Mexican food, it's plated a certain way or the background looks a certain way. I just wanted to do something that was a little more whimsy. Obviously, there are some photos in the book that do cater to that style, but for the most part, it's, it's fun. And my husband took all of the photos and which I'm super, super grateful for because he's sort of a jack of all trades and can, can do anything. And he has this awesome, you know, eye for photography and he lives in my house. So why wouldn't I utilize (laughs) it? Yeah. Put him to work, get him on there. My gosh. (laughs) I'm like, Mondo, you need to take all these photos. Yeah. Tell him to earn an honest day's work. Right. (laughs) working for his wife. That's incredible. Um, So you had the cookbook come out and when did it officially come out? It came out in October. Oh, October 11th it launched. Um, And you can buy it on Amazon. You could buy it at workman.com. You could get it at Barnes and Noble or books are sold. Yeah, where books yeah, are sold. Where books are sold. Well, that's amazing, and congratulations on that. I know it's a huge labor of love to get a cookbook out into the world. So, how does it feel now for you to have that out there? It's it feels really good. Like I am happy that I got to celebrate these desserts. Um, when I approached it, I wanted to make sure that. I did some traditional desserts, but I also wanted to really emphasize on the reinvented sweets just because I feel like food is constantly evolving. You know, Mm -hmm. like if you think about the way certain things were made in the 70s versus how they're made now, it's rarely the same or even the 50s. And I just felt like I wanted to write this love letter to sweets because In most Latino households, sweets are a normal thing. Like you have a sweet, not Uh on special occasions. I do say. It's an everyday occurrence, you know, like like a gelatina or a cookie or a piece of cake or something, you know, it's it's not. I love that mantra. (laughs) Sweets every day. (laughs) I'm a big, I'm a huge sweet too. So yes, love that. (laughs) It's not reserved just for a special occasion. It's like. Oh no, we need we need to have a you know something sweet with our coffee in the evening yes. or or first thing in the morning. You know, it's not it's not just for birthdays. And yes. so, with that being said, it's so strange to me when I walk into a bookstore and I go into the cookbook section and there's hardly any dessert books that are just dedicated to Mexican sweets. You see Mm -hmm. them with pie, you see them with cake, you see them with cookies, you see them with other nationalities, but rarely Mexican ones. Like it's a, it's a rarity. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought we need that. And you know, I'm going to do it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna make that cookbook and call it Viva Desserts. And I mean, there are some. There are. I'm not saying that mine is the first one. I'm saying there are some, but there's not that many. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Help keep nonprofit food radio on the air and get a limited release HRN T-shirt designed by artist Chema Scandal. When you become an HRN member or renew your existing membership at the $90 level, you'll receive a shirt created exclusively for members as our thank you gift. Don't wait because this limited edition t-shirt is only available until December 31st. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to support HRN at any level. There's more swag and benefits available for any tax-deductible donation. You can even get your company on the HRN Airwaves as a perk of our business membership program. Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. It's nice to kind of, I mean, like we talked about, breathe new life into the Mexican cuisine. And it seems like you really take like an artistic lens with the way that you do that. So elaborate on that a little more for me. So what is that? What is that? How do you explain that to people? Or, you know, you want someone to take away from your work, your cookbook and your blog. What is it that you want people to take away? Well, I think that for me, like, it's super important, like I said, to make these Mexican American desserts. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely borrow from, for instance, there's an entire flan section in my book. And one of the one of the flans that's been made a lot is the chocolate banana flan. And oh people, my god, that sounds so good! <laughs> I think they're gravitating to that because that's such an American that's such an American um, flavor combo. Yes, and to put it in a flan where you have this like gooey caramel and banana flan with chocolate and this creaminess. It's it's wonderful. And, you know, I also did a strawberry pistachio flan, which is also not a very common, you know, Mexican flavor, but it is it is way more common in the American flavor, yes. but in a flan form. And it tastes like a cross between a flan and a mousse and a cheesecake Ooh. and just really yummy. That sounds so, incredible. And I also did like the, I did two ways to approach it. So in one of, in one of the flan recipes, I gave the traditional way of doing a sugar caramel, you know, the sugar caramel that you start the flan with. Mm -hmm. But then I, for other recipes, I asked the, the reader or the person that's making the recipe to use cajeta. Because it's sort of like a full, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's sort of a a safe, like foolproof way of getting that part done. Because that's the hard part, really, Mm -hmm. when you're making a flan is making the sugar caramel. So they have that option of doing both. And I definitely went about this book, writing this book for the novice baker, but also for somebody who wants, who has more experience. So there's something for everybody. There's, you yes. know, they can start easy or go they all can the way. 
jump right in. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. And so, yeah, I mean, this is all making me incredibly hungry, (laughs) (laughs) but is there maybe a, like, say if you're, you know, me, for example, you know, I don't have Mexican heritage, but I love Mexican cuisine and, you know, don't have, I haven't made too many traditional style Mexican dishes and especially not Mexican style desserts, is there kind of like a jumping off point or like an entry level say like, I mean, to me making flan seems very daunting, but is there something that you can recommend as like a good starting point for dabbling in Mexican sweets? Well, sure. Um, you know, there's, there's also, there's also, um, arroz con leche. There's a Mm. whole section on arroz con leche and, I think that would be an easy jumping point just because it's a rice pudding, but I made it arroz con leche brulee. So you have that. Oh my gosh. (gasps) That Um, sounds so good. (laughs) I need to make that. And you put fresh fruit on top and it's just (sighs) like this, that little break of crunchy sweetness. And then this really creamy decadent, arroz con leche underneath but that sounds remarkable i need to make that i love rice pudding and i love a brulee so <laughs> i'm like <laughs> sold okay i need to make that i'm i'm writing it down like as we speak <laughs> yay um I'm so excited. I also did, I did, you know, I'm thinking another easy recipe to do would be the cherry tres leches cake um i did a tres leches and added cherry into the cake part and also made the tres leches infused with cherry. And that's so delicious. Um, or These all sound so good. The chocolate or chata cheesecake, oh, which my. is what I call like, you know, my Chicana proud cheesecake because yes. we're using our chata to flavor the cheesecake, but Oreo cookie to make the crust and it's it's a flavor profile that you can't buy at the market but it's for future generations and one day you will be able to oh my goodness well that sounds oh my gosh I'm literally salivating and how I mean do you hope that this inspires like what do you hope that this inspires people to do you know if they see your book or hear this episode or see your blog just to kind of learn more about Mexican cuisine or what is it that you hope that people um, are inspired to do? I hope people are inspired to, to explore these flavors. I hope people are inspired to make more sweets. I think it's a good, I think it's a good starting point for people to explore. Like you said, you don't explore Mexican desserts. I hope it, it encourages people to do that and, yeah. and realize like, Hey, you know what? I can do this. And it's, it's amazing and delicious. And I'm going to wow my party guests and bring this dessert to them. You know, um, there's an entire, there's an entire section on empanadas and pies mm-hmm. and just how to go about making your dough. And I did this whole take on maranitos. Do you know what maranitos are? No. It's like a molasses gingerbread uh, type of cookie that you can get at most Mexican bakeries. It's called maranitos. And they're really made with like piloncio, which is a, a 
brown sugar type of like a cane sugar type of thing. Okay. Um, so think in those terms, like sort of like gingerbread, but not gingery. Okay. <laughs> I don't know well, how to explain it. Yeah, but no, I, I get the vibe. They're shaped like pigs. So you can buy them at, you know, Mexican bakeries. But instead of doing the traditional cookie that's shaped like a pig, I did maranito um, empanadas where I did like a, a molasses gingerbread type of dough. And oh, then it's a sweet empanada? It's an empanada and stuffed it with a creamy pear Oh my god! And put royal icing on top. Oh, they're so good. That sounds incredible. You could do that. You know, like bring those to the holiday party, or if you don't want to make them in the shape of a pig, make them in the shape of a Christmas tree, or in the shape of you know, I don't know, uh, dreidels or yes. And it's 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 approachable. So I guess going back to what you're asking me is my hope is that people will jump in and try and try these flavors try these flavor combos oh my gosh I am I'm inspired to do that so your job is done because you did it for at least one person and hopefully more whoever listened to it whoever listens I'm yes I'm very excited Uh to experiment with some things and I think that's really cool about what you know what you're describing these recipes they're all they all have a little bit of whimsy to it and a little bit of a twist and something that makes them unique and quirky and different. And I think that's super, super exciting. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. You did it. (laughs) Game over. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I'm, I'm excited a, to talk to you. I'm excited that the feed feed allowed me to even talk a little bit about myself. And I'm really happy that Viva desserts is out and, it's it's out there for people and they can cook from it and recreate these recipes in their kitchen um there's also there's also a section on gelatinas which are jello molds and i think that people who will browse through the through the book will think oh that's an easy starting point jello molds like let's Mm -hmm. no that's the hardest section to do really um just because making jello is such an it's like finicky process. Yeah, especially these ones. Like I have a flotetina, which is sort of like a no-bake cheesecake that floats within the jello. Oh. So you have like and it just takes time and patience and having the right temperature and how to like get that no bake part to flow up in order yeah. to split the jello to encase it. I did that. And then I did, of course, like my Mexican-American fusion, I did a banana split gelatina, which has like, it's sort of like a mosaic jello mold that has chunks of chocolate jello and chunks of banana and chunks of cherry gelatin within a vanilla encased gelatin and I added little marshmallows and you can add nuts on top and whipped cream and you have this like banana split experience incredible um yeah 
Can't done <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I'm drinking the Kool Aid of all of this. I absolutely love all of it, and congratulations on the book and everything else and the the sweetness that you're sharing with the world. It's very it's lovely to hear about. I am so excited to hopefully make some of these things and try them and just you've definitely inspired me to make more sweets which is really not twisting my arm very much because I love them so <laughs> you didn't <laughs> your job wasn't too hard but you did do it so just <laughs> congratulations on everything and thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us and our listeners thank you so much Alexa and I'm happily following you on IG and liking all of your oh. Gosh. I saw your roasted garlic today and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like, she's so fun. I'm so excited to meet her, even if only over the phone. Oh but my still. gosh. Thank you so much for saying that. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's a, you know how it is. It's always like the sillier things do better on social media. So sometimes you just got to rock with that, you know? Well, thank you. Thank you. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.